0: Hey guys, welcome back to the 4Eyes podcast brought to you by Young OD Connect. Myself, Dr. Amrit Bilku and Deepon Kar are your hosts, of course, and we are finally back from our long holiday podcast vacation. We can't wait to share the content that we've recorded in the past few months with you guys. But for now, get ready to listen to part two of our financial planning episode for new grad ODs. So in part one, we had Evan, we had Yvonne Mendrin and Lainey Bocott, both US and Canadian financial advisors, sharing their expertise on tax planning and investments. So now in part two, we're talking about professional corporations and when the best time would be for an OD to even have a professional corp, as well as the crucial importance of getting occupational disability insurance and who else you need to recruit in order to have a team of professionals behind you when making financial and tax planning decisions. So if you haven't listened to part one yet, I highly recommend that you do that first and then get ready for this episode that's filled with more awesome financial education. Now we'll switch
1: gears a little bit and actually talk about incorporating. So can you guys talk about what it exactly means incorporating? What are the cons and benefits of it? And when should we consider it?
2: In Canada, a corporation is considered a legal person. It is its own entity. It has legal rights, obligations. It is the right to earn income. It is the right to uh, own property. It has the obligation to pay tax, to file tax returns, um, and be compliant with Canada Revenue Agency. So, if Deepon, you incorporate your practice, your corporation is completely separate from you, but it would be owned by you, and you'd likely be an employee of it as well. So, you'd have two relationships to your corporation if you incorporated a practice. An investor relationship in the same way that if you buy Apple shares, you are a shareholder of Apple. If you incorporate a a professional corporation and you buy shares for $10, you own shares of your medical corporation, you're an investor. And if you do work that helps the medical or the professional corporation produce income, then you can be paid as its employee because you're doing work on its behalf. So that's generally the relationship to a corporation that uh, professionals have. Now, in Canada, there's no malpractice coverage for professionals. You are always profession- personally liable for malpractice with respect to your uh, your income and your your practice circumstances and behaviors. So there's no liability coverage for your general practice, but if you do own a clinic and you employ people or you have a building that people are coming in and out of, there may be liability protection by virtue of being incorporated. But Generally, if it's just for a practitioner that doesn't own a clinic, then in Canada, incorporation for professionals is really a tax deferral mechanism. And that's really the primary reason why we use uh, corporations. In Canada, corporations pay tax at a much lower rate than individuals do. So if your corporation is the party that is earning income, and paying for all of your practice-related expenses, like your, uh, your professional dues and your travel expenses and whatever other expenses that you have to produce your practice income, whatever's left over after it pays for those expenses and pays a salary to the optometrist, that's what's taxed at corporate tax rates. So of note, in Canada, corporations pay tax on net income, which is revenue minus expenses, of somewhere between nine and around 12.2%. So that's the small business tax rate in Canada. Income above that threshold is taxed at higher rates, but generally optometrists, if they're just practicing and not running a clinic would still be well within the small business tax uh, bracket. So that's a good thing. People pay tax at much higher rates, generally between 35 to 45% for optometrists. So if you're earning significantly more than you need to spend for your lifestyle, for your rent, your mortgage, your gas, groceries, whatever else, on an after-tax basis, you'd be better off earning it in a corporation and paying yourself only what you need. Because if you extract only what you need to live on, you'll only pay tax on those funds at high rates, and whatever you leave in the corporation is taxed at the low rate. Whatever's left over after you've paid that corporate level of tax in a corporation can be invested. And what you can invest in your corporation is dependent on the professional body of your province. But generally, you can invest in uh, mutual funds, the stock market index. Uh, You can, in, in some provinces, invest in real estate. So, Uh, you can use the tax-deferred funds that you've accumulated in a corporation to start your retirement savings or kickstart your your cash savings uh, because instead of paying the difference in tax to Canada Revenue Agency and leaving it in their investment account, it's sitting in principle in your investment account in your corporation. So that's the primary purpose of a corporation in Canada. It's being able to defer tax on the money that you don't yet need if you are aggressively repaying your debt debt is a personal expense so let's say you want to spend all of your extra income that you don't need this year to pay for your mortgage and groceries and entertainment you want to aggressively put that against your debt if that was earned in a corporation you'd have to take out everything you earn as a salary To the extent that you have large costs of living, which is the case often for new-to-practice docs because you are paying down debts, you're at the age where you're probably having kids and kids are expensive or getting married and weddings are expensive um, or buying houses, you'll often need quite a bit of cash in the first several years of your practice anyways. So I think for the average optometrist, incorporation immediately is generally not indicated.
3: So in the U.S., you have two most common types of business entities you have the corporation which generally is is pretty similar in a lot of ways to uh to laney what you had talked about already um and then you have a limited liability company and those are the two most common business entities you can you can open up and and form uh, in the united states different states have different versions uh, but those are the two most common and the the biggest benefit right off the bat is really just liability protection um it sounds like just like in Canada in the US you don't get protection from the business entity for malpractice so you're going to have malpractice insurance to to protect you from that for your work as an optometrist but um all the other business liability can be you you can protect yourself by using these separate entities uh to to keep all of that business activity as well as as well as bankruptcy and debt um within that business so that's that's primarily the the first and foremost the benefit of opening a forming a a, operating a business as either a corporation or a limited liability company the legal entity and, and the legal aspects of what entity you choose and how that entity is taxed in the us can be two separate things so for example the corporation the the default way a corporation is taxed is kind of similar to what Laney was explaining, but it's it's typically unfavorable for a business like a, an optometry practice. Uh, in the U.S. at this moment, corporations have a 21% flat tax rate, and then you're considered a part. You know, you're considered an employee of the of the business, just like all the others. So you can pay yourself a salary. Your salary is taxed at whatever your personal tax rates are. Uh, but then, if you want to get any other income out of the business, you have to pay a dividend. And just like any publicly traded stock you can think of, those dividends are going to be taxable to you. So there's there's two forms of taxation happening, two layers of taxation with a a corporation. And for an optometry practice that's sending out a lot of that cash to the to the owner to put to use, um, it, it's usually unfavorable. So mm-hmm. what you're more likely to see is 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 choosing to be taxed in, in the other ways, which is generally what we'd call in the us like a pass through business entity where all of the the profit of the business just like laney said your your income minus your business deductible business expenses all of your profit actually ends up on your personal tax return and is taxed at your personal tax rates uh that tends to be most favorable and, and that tends to be the route that most practice owners will find themselves in and and that looks different with an llc as well by default it's one of those types of businesses that are taxed that way but you can choose with an llc to be taxed differently in the us it's it's called choosing to be taxed as an s corporation and a corporation itself this is getting complicated uh can also be choose to be taxed as an s corporation so You have a business entity, primarily it's used for liability protection, Mm -hmm. but then comes the tax planning and deciding how that entity should be taxed. And those can be two separate things.
2: Evan, can I ask? So if if you have an individual that is not running a clinic and they don't have like any retail operations, so there's no sort of general business liability, they have no partners, they're just running their practice as an associate, would they have any reason to use one of these corporations and then take all of the income personally? Or is that really more so if you're in a clinic setting?
3: No, if you own it's more so if you're owning a clinic. I mean, that's okay. really the the okay. other caveat is kind of what you mentioned, where a optometrist may be a contractor mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. Um, another practice. Yeah. And so they're really self employed. Like they ha- they are a little a minor, you, you know, a little miniature business. Uh, that doesn't sound good. Uh, a, We're
0: just just an associate a small, yeah.
3: business, right? We're just
0: an independent contractor, right? Right. Yeah. So
3: um, so from that perspective, then you would go like an LLC route and choosing to be taxed differently just due to tax considerations. You're not really concerned about the liability at that point. You're You're going to have malpractice insurance. Um, all you're really you're really looking at there is for tax considerations, but if you're just an employed associate, there's no reason for you really, unless you have side a side business or something like that. To to, um, to everybody has to... a side hustle.
2: Yeah. yeah, well, nowadays that's what my yeah. mom said nowadays. to me recently. She goes, "Everybody has a side hustle, lady." <laughs> <laughs>
0: I guess the goal in like five, 10 years is for people to finally get out of their side hustles and mm. just have yes, one yes. one revenue stream. That's <laughs> the primary like hustle. The, like the Should good not old days. A side hustle. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um actually, I was just gonna add on add a question on to what you just said, Yvonne. So um if you are someone like a 1099 contractor, because this has happened to some o- some young ODs that have other opportunities, like social media collaborations or consulting and you know they have another business is there a certain income level first of all is there a certain income level from the side hustles that they'll have to start claiming for taxes in general and then is there a certain income level with the side business where you would recommend maybe to become incorporated like well, a switch you know, a essentially, you know?
3: right away, if they have any meaningful amount of income, it's going to be considered tax. It's going to be considered income for for tax purposes. So, mm-hmm. um, well, by law, I, I guess I should say, by law, you should be recognizing <laughs> that income on your tax return. You can put whatever you want on your tax return, but by law, yeah. uh, you you should be recognizing that. So, mm-hmm. so it's going to be ending up as income on the tax return. Mm-hmm really the decision then of whether to uh, to open up an entity. And for, for them, it's usually choosing to be taxed as an S corporation. Uh, the decision there is because as someone that's self-employed, like a contractor, you're having to pay self-employment taxes, which are um, social security taxes, Medicare taxes, in addition to your income taxes. Mm. And when you're employed uh, in the US, you pay half of those and your employer pays the other half. Well, when you're self-employed, you're you're both of that, right? So you have to pay both sides of that. What happens with an when you choose to be taxed as an S corporation and that you have to pay yourself a wage that's reasonable for for the work you're doing. And, and in that wage, just like any other employment, you have to pay those employment taxes, social security and Medicare, but your profit above and beyond that wage is not subject to those taxes. Mm. So it's, Mm. it's when you have enough profit to exceed what is a reasonable wage, and you start to see those self-employment tax savings, Mm -hmm. that's usually where, where you start to see that makes sense. And there's, there's some math. I mean, there's a certain amount of profit that you need in order to make the math work because you you add on additional costs because you have to file another tax return. You have to have accounting and um, and payroll now. I mean, there's additional costs and headaches that come into that. So it has to make sense at a certain point, but it, it can. There's some thought though, and you know, when the way I see it though, I'm unclear about if you're a an independent contractor. Like your your work is the whole business. Yeah. You don't have capital. You don't have employees. You don't have processes. Mm -hmm. So, if you look at the definitions that the the our tax authority, the IRS would say, like here's what you should consider as a reasonable salary. uh, It's going to come down to what work are you doing in the business, and if your work as an optometrist is the entire business, it's it gets a little weird um so you know just lean on your tax professional to tell you what is a reasonable salary because it it gets a little weird for me but I feel like
0: you guys should have just answered that for every question just call us and we'll we'll let you guys know what
3: to do call your professionals every my answer to every question is it gets a little weird call your professionals there's there's your intro snip just put that on there it's a little weird
2: from like a standpoint of being self-employed or incorporated for CPP and EI purposes. So CPP is Canada Pension Plan and EI is employment insurance. So if you become unemployed and you need insurance to pay you money until you yeah. become employed again, uh, that's what that is. And everybody has to pay in if they are an employee somewhere. If you're self-employed, you have to pay in both portions of CPP. If you're incorporated and you take a salary, you still have to pay both portions your corporation will pay half because it's your employer and you pay the other half as part of your salary deductions mm-hmm. uh it, it's not a ton of earnings that you need to cap out before you've, you've maxed out it's really some people don't believe that we're going to see any cpp uh as people contributing now as our population is aging and our country's in a deficit like are, are we ever actually going to get that money uh that's up for debate so some people are, are you know pretty against paying into cpp the way out of paying into those plans, is if you pay yourself dividends from your corporation, but as self-employed or incorporated um, docs, if you're taking salary, you're going to have to pay into CPP and EI. In,
3: in yeah. the US, there's there's similar. So the threshold is much higher for um, social security, which would be the the pension, you know, our our pension, national pension version. Uh, it's 160,000, and in hmm. this year, and it's increased for inflation. So over the last year, we we saw it jump uh, considerably. And then for medic Medicare taxes, which is for the national medical plan, you, there's no income threshold, so that that goes indefinitely. Similar concerns around for the viability of uh, uh, Social Security and whether people want to pay into it or not. Uh, And and there is an interesting because if you look at the way our Social Security system is sort of planned, like it's built to keep people out of poverty in retirement. Right. So it's not to it's specifically built for higher earning uh, doctors and and optometrists. It's it's not built to replace your full working income. Mm -hmm. So the way that it's built is it's going to cover more of your of the lower parts of your income and a lot less of the higher parts. So there is a threshold to where it's much less effective to keep paying into it. But you have to think about what are you doing with those dollars that you're not paying into it? Are you then investing it in and building up your assets towards retirement or are you spending those extra dollars? Because mm-hmm. if you're not being proactive in taking those taxes saved and investing it in building your own future retirement funds, well then you're you would be better off just paying into social security. I mean you're that's mm-hmm. that's just the reality of it, right? So you can optimize it and get really into the weeds and try to get like the very best dollar dollar driven decision. But like if if you're just saving taxes and then spending it, then you're you're ultimately wasting that opportunity.
2: Yeah. Is it okay if I pivot? Cause I think there's a really interesting thing to talk about that I don't think we had we had about or discussed in advance but Mm -hmm. a really important thing that docs need to have is disability insurance so uh, Yvonne was just touching on you know what does social security exist for and it's not us I hope I'm using the exact conversion in Canada, employment insurance is, you know, if you get laid off your job and you're actively looking to find new work, they will pay you from government funds because you've paid into EI before as an employee until you can find a new job. It's to bridge the gap. But it's unlikely that an optometrist is going to get laid off from their job and be applying to different clinics and getting, you know, a couple hundred dollars from the government to uh, bridge the gap in that interim. That's really not super likely scenario. What's critical is that, you know, optometrists who are, you know, they're professionals, they have been in school for many, many years, they're going to continue to work in the same profession, very likely for a a long time. It's very important to get own occupation disability insurance. And what this protects you from is if you can't work, it's likely because of a disability, whether that be a mental health leave, an injury, um, some sort of illness. That's often what takes highly skilled and educated professionals away from their work. Own occupation disability insurance can entitle you. You can pay in to be insured so that if you are unable to work in your specific occupation, you can be insured for up to about 75% of what you earn. So in your first couple of years of practice, as you start to ramp up your billings and and, uh, earn more money until you kind of hit a plateau of, you know, billing as much as you can, based on the time you're working, you want to keep increasing your disability insurance so Mm. that it is maxing out the amount of insurance that you can get should something happen. So if in year one you bill a hundred thousand and your insurance that you've paid into covers you for 75% of a hundred thousand and year two you bill a hundred and fifty thousand, but you don't increase your disability insurance. If something happens at that point, you're still only insured for up to 75% of a hundred thousand. So until you hit that plateau where you're really, you've hit your stride and you're earning as much as you can, you want to make sure that annually or even semi-annually, you're reviewing your disability policy so that you can make sure that you're insured on your own occupation for as much as possible. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't have own occupation insurance and you just have disability insurance and deep on you say, something has happened, I, I can't see anymore, God forbid, and you can't do your optometry work. I'm um, going to sue but, her
0: optometrist. That
2: took care of her God forbid. I was just thinking, I was like, what do optometrists do? They oh look through gosh. those little, little uh, oh. glasses, the little face thing. Um, if you can't do exactly what you've been trained to do, And you only have regular disability insurance. They'll say, okay, Deepon, go get a job at subway. You can still work. You just can't do what you do and we're trained to do. So we're not paying you disability insurance because you are capable of working. working. Mm -hmm. So you need to ensure that your policy is own occupation because you don't Mm -hmm. want to be covered for being able to work at a minimum wage job. You Mm -hmm. want to protect the income that you've worked for upwards of a decade to be able to produce education wise. So uh, that's a really important thing to be cognizant of early in practice as your Mm -hmm. earnings are ramping up. Um, And it's also important to get disability insurance Mm -hmm. and life insurance, in my opinion, while you're young and healthy and can qualify. Because if you have pre-existing conditions, they may disqualify you Mm -hmm. from that. And pre-existing conditions could be anxiety. And if you've you know, if you have a medical history of that, you might not be able to get insured for disability purposes for that specific type of ailment. So Mm -hmm. it's really important to cover yourself as soon as you can. And while you're young, you know, things like life insurance are generally inexpensive. Yeah,
0: I was actually gonna just comment on that, because Deepon and I had that conversation about (laughs) disability insurance, where I kind of pushed her to look into it because she does not have it yet. But um, <laughs> we just talked about that too. I know days you singled ago. me out, Lane. You're like deep on. If you <laughs> this ever is, this is actually
3: why ago. we right. had this I conversation. So right? we can get to this point and and, yes. and talk about this.
0: And but so first of all, for listeners, yeah, you really should apply as early as possible too. Um, because I am generally healthy okay fine maybe a little unhealthy but uh, my application <laughs> for pushes approval... away the
2: mcdonald's bag. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no seriously I, I i do have a health condition but um the insurance company really dug into my medical history for the last five years and my application took uh two years two and a half years to be approved yeah. And and my financial planner was shocked because he said that's probably the longest it's ever taken any of his clients to get approved. Oh
3: my goodness.
0: Yeah. So it's nuts. But again, um, thankfully, God willing, um, you know, God's looking out for me. So I am covered now, but it, and it's really, really good coverage. So I was, you know, sharing that with Deep On too. I, I totally
3: agree with Laney, everything you said. Yeah. I I mean, I don't know that I have much else to add to that. Like you in the us get disability insurance so you yeah. your ability to work like if you, the economist would call it the fancy term is like your human capital mm-hmm. is your biggest asset especially earlier in your career it doesn't show up on your balance sheet but you can calculate a value a present value of all of your income inflated into the future like you can calculate the value of an asset you would need in order to provide that same income over your over your working mm-hmm. career and it's substantial and likely it, over at minimum over a million. So like, that's, that's huge, your your ability mm-hmm. to work funds everything. And especially if you own a practice, your ability to work is the thing that's going to provide value to that practice, unless you start to grow the practice and add on associates and, and start to build a larger entity than yourself. So um, yeah. that's risk management, I think, is number one, it's fun to talk about investing and all this other stuff. But if you don't have these basic uh, what I would call basic risk management things taking care of disability insurance as soon as you have an income and life insurance as soon as there is a need or even earlier, as Lenny mentioned, because your term insurance is term life insurance is pretty cheap in the US. And if you're healthy and young and uh, uh, you can very well have health issues that keep you from getting it down the road. So
2: mm-hmm.
3: uh, risk management, yeah. I think, is, is t- should be top of mind yeah
2: yeah and just a a comment on the life insurance component same issue you're younger and healthier today than you're ever going to be again hopefully um qualify while you can life insurance Mm -hmm. is relatively inexpensive and i've seen horror stories i've seen people you know people who are in their late 20s and early 30s develop conditions you know and some that are more or less serious or something you know like gestational diabetes and now you can't get life insurance. And now you've got a kid Mm -hmm. and you're terrified because you still got $300,000 of debt and a kid and you're not insured. So that's Mm -hmm. pretty scary. So my general thought is that it makes sense to apply for and get approved for as much life insurance as you think you'll need at the max, max need of your life. So if you have no kids today and no house and no spouse, um, you might not need $3 million of life insurance. But you might anticipate buying in an a million-dollar house and you want to have three kids and you know you want to live in the fancy neighborhood, and those costs are going to come in the near future. If you think the max you'll probably need is $3 million, nail that down now while you can because insurance is to cover you for the things that you cannot afford to not have coverage over. And the intention of investing, and whether it's in your professional corp or in your TFSAs or your non-registered accounts, whatever it is, is to not just fund your retirement, but to be your savings for life, for if anything happens. And if you use term life insurance, you hold the cards about how long you're insured. If you get non cancelable insurance, you get to decide every year if they've approved you, even if a condition develops, you are in control about if you want to continue to be insured and you continue to pay the life insurance. If in 20 years you have saved up enough money in your corporation or in your investment accounts, such that now, God forbid you die, something happens, your family is still going to be taken care of because you have enough in your investments to pay off your debts and continue to pay the mortgage and in, you know, aggregate with your spouse's income, if they have income, continue to facilitate your family's costs. You might not need that insurance anymore. And that's when you stop paying in and you cancel. So The goal is to be insured from a pure insurance standpoint, not from an investment standpoint. Some people use insurance for investment purposes. Purely for insurance, you want to be insured for what you can't afford not to be and only as long as you need to be. And Mm -hmm. once you're self-insured, you've got your own money saved up, then you can cancel your insurance. Mm -hmm. So that's my thought on the process. Even if you don't need it today, get your spot in line and, and protect your right to get insured.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. And, and that's why term insurance tends to work really well for most family planning needs. Um, is that it's that that point in your career where, where the risk is the highest, there's an actual need for your income and your spouse's income, right? Once you are financially independent, it's it's totally optional. A, mm-hmm. At that point, um, you no longer have that large financial risk. And uh, on the other hand, term insurance policies here in the US, you can often have the ability to convert parts of it. Parts of that death benefit, or or entirely, uh, into permanent type insurance if you do get a health condition down the road. So there's mm-hmm. there's some flexibility to turn some of it into a, a permanent type policy if you need, without having to go through all that medical underwriting. So it, it gives you mm-hmm. some flexibility there if a condition develops. But um, otherwise, the term insurance is typically uh, going to give you the the largest amount of insurance for the biggest bang for the buck and can probably is going to more easily allow you to get the the coverage that you need.
0: Yeah. You know, I'm really glad we talked about disability insurance because it is a really important topic for new grad ODs yeah. and it's important for Deep One. She needs to get <laughs> on it.
1: You know, what, hey, so it. I like sense it it is, it is like I yeah. will get it after our yeah. this conversation and our other conversation <laughs> we had. But I think it's like when you graduate, you have all these other fees to pay, and you're, that's what you think. You're like, I'm healthy, mm-hmm. I'm fine. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. what's gonna yeah. happen? And I have all this other debt to pay, yeah. and then it's just it's gonna be too late. Like once something happens, and then you're like, yeah. oh crap! Like what now? What you know? Yeah. So, um, yes, no, I'll definitely think.
3: So all listeners in US and Canada send emails to Deepon. At... <laughs> Guilter. Just, just yeah, just let her know. No, any, I'm gonna do fact. it. I've already send made her hate it. mail.
0: <laughs> like, why didn't you get it? <laughs> no, but it's no, true. you guys um, already
1: convinced what, me. I'll yes. I'll be doing it.
0: You know what? What what really surprises me about um just occupational disability was I was very surprised that mental health coverage is included. And that's what I yes. was talking with Deep One about, you know, two days ago when we talked about it, because we we've seen that, you know, where people can take disability part-time or full-time disability because of mental health issues. And, you know, that yes, that can be your own personal mental health issues from having depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, anything like that, but losing a family member, losing a spouse, going through something traumatic, like a car accident or, um, some, you know, huge injury that just really shakes you up too. that. That situation has just caused mental health issues that you never would have thought would have happened. Mm-hmm, so yeah. I think that's why is that, is that
3: covered problem. over the whole time you have the policy? Interesting. In the U S it's limited to two years. Unfortunately, mm.
0: I would assume that I think as long as, um, periodically, you are still proven to have those mental health challenges or illnesses crowd. then you can continue to claim coverage for as long as you
2: have something i mean one we have all time burnout rates right yeah. now for healthcare professionals it's extraordinary so if you can be covered for you know worst case scenario in event of that happening that makes sense to do. Mm -hmm. Um, I think in the long run, we are all gonna see our disability rates go up significantly because Mm -hmm. of healthcare coverage. And it's absolutely a good thing that societally and in healthcare, we are recognizing the medical implication of mental health. Um, But on an economic standpoint solely, we will see the costs of that uh, reflected in our premiums, especially Mm -hmm. as the years go on and people are experiencing more burnout and taking more mental health leave. Um, I'm not sure if I mentioned this before, but if you have existing conditions of depression, anxiety, things like that, or you've had an episode or you've had to um, be on some sort of mental health medication, uh, it often precludes you from getting coverage in that area in your disability insurance. So if you take an SSRI, you might get disability coverage, but they might not cover you for any... You know, let's say you take SSRI for depression, they may not cover you for depression related issues, because why would they if they know they're going to have to cover significantly more costs like this is not a not for profit. This is a for profit yeah. industry yeah. Uh 100%. Insurance is a gamble and yeah. it's really macabre, but they are gambling on, you know, for disability. They're gambling on the fact that you don't become disabled or on life insurance. They're gambling that you don't die. They're making a bet on your mm-hmm. life. And so are you.
3: Um, mm-hmm. It's well, fair it's, game. So the, the statistics are in their favor. So it's more, oh it's, it's more <laughs> educated statistical bet on their part than it is. I'm going to be gambling, 150
0: yeah. Yeah. before I die just to prove <laughs> them wrong. <laughs>
2: yeah no the house always wins but you ultimately you can't take the chance of right of the loss right yeah yeah
0: very true yeah true let's wrap up this two-hour discussion because it's
3: it's a, it's a it's, good thing we left that that really dire uh yeah. sad depressing <laughs> topic toward the end like right. we, we hooked everyone in we talk at the about critical
2: illness and then <laughs> we got
3: to critical illness and death and rising costs so well we talked
0: about the fun stuff right we up. talked yeah. about saving retirement yeah. plans like what are you going to do if you last that long and then oh if you don't last <laughs> what are you going to do okay. when you die
1: okay. <laughs> look
0: So Um, much to look forward to. You're
1: like all your savings and then, oh, but don't forget, you know, if you get diagnosed with some illness or some terminal
0: illness. Hey, but you know what? That's motivation because if you saved up all that money for retirement and you have that disability insurance helping you to keep the bills, you know, paid and keep your home and keep your family fed you got all that retirement money right there to enjoy whatever you can do left. So hell yeah. Yeah. Like why not? I think, I think that's like the perfect combination, right? (laughs) Um, if, if anything were to happen, so no, it's really, it's great advice. And I'm loving everything on this episode right now because I do have my own accountant. I have a financial planner and, and an advisor. So, you know, everything you guys are saying is awesome and really important to know. Um, So let's end off this panel discussion with um, a really important point. You know, what relationships should we establish, um, you know, with different professionals when we do graduate from optometry school? Who is on your professional team um, and who's helping us, you know, navigate finances? Who would we rely on?
2: So there's several professionals that you're going to need uh, and there's several professionals you may want to have, financial advice is paramount. Getting an accountant is a no-brainer. Um, when you move into practice, uh, it's time to fire your mom or your dad, whoever's been doing your taxes for, you know, <laughs> your whole life. Things become a bit more complicated when you have professional income. And tax planning opportunities uh are above and beyond just tax preparation when you hand your tax slips to your accountant to say here's my you know here's my income here are my expenses that's not tax planning that's tax preparation but you need to do tax planning in advance so you know we talked about the first home savings account you can't just get that deduction if you didn't make that contribution in advance and if you didn't know about that you can't retroactively uh get that opportunity so having an accountant who can advise you on different strategies uh, and keep you apprised of different opportunities and ensure that you're filing in the most efficient ways and taking efficient tax positions is also in my opinion you know a Mm non-negotiable you're going to need somebody to provide you with insurance um that's critical and uh you're likely to need lawyers. So depending on what you're doing, whether if you're establishing a clinic, you might need corporate lawyers, you uh may have real estate needs. Uh I think it's really critical to understand uh your obligations with respect to family law, because um I, I'm not sure, Evan, maybe or sorry, Yvonne, maybe you can tell me what this is like in the States, but in Canada you are common law after a certain period of time of cohabiting with someone, whether or not you are married or engaged, you're basically considered partners. That's what common law means in Canada. So obligations are virtually the same in many provinces as what they would be if you were married. So as high income earners, uh, if you're earning more than your spouse, your obligation to them, even if you're not married, could be really significant in things like spousal support child support division of assets if you separate common law is really interesting because often people don't even know that it applies to them so mm. that's another type of um professional you might want to engage as, as a family lawyer just to understand your obligations if they do exist Uh, Yvonne, any other advisors that I neglected to mention?
3: No, I mean, you're you're spot on here. I think you've got the list of financial advisor. And in the US, I would suggest first looking for someone that we would call like a fee only financial advisor. So someone that you're just paying them directly for their advice. There's no um, commission product sales or anything on the other side of that. Um, so a financial advisor, someone you, you'd want to look at uh, engaging with a tax professional in the U.S., you have a CPA along with an E.A. enrolled agent. Um, an attorney at some point as well makes sense from an estate planning situation, a business entity planning, um, real estate, if real estate's involved, whether it's looking at, at lease contracts or um, how to hold what type of entity to hold a real estate. Uh, so at some point, an attorney would make sense as well. And I, I don't think you need to assemble like the Avengers as soon as you <laughs> graduate, right? Like you don't need to yeah. have the full team. Also a um, an insurance broker, like you said, and, and that's mm. there's different brokers that can work with different types of insurance, but absolutely a, a good insurance broker or agent that you can trust. So like uh, you can work with people as soon as needs come up. I think pretty early, um, pretty early on, as soon as you have an income, you're probably gonna want someone to at least prepare your taxes the financial decisions as we talked about are vast as soon as you graduate you know even if it's just student loans so you know a tax professional and financial advisor i think are are among the earliest but as at some point you as needs come up you're going to want to engage an attorney as well you're going to have insurance needs so Um, so as, as needs come up, you know, start to, start to get these, these professionals in your life. And, Mm -hmm. um, most ideally you have professionals that are working together, openly communicating for, for your benefit. So especially your advisor and your tax professional, you know, hopefully you'll have a team that's working behind the scenes and openly communicating on your behalf. Uh, and I think anytime you have a business entity in your life, that's automatic. You need to be, you need to be talking with professionals here. You've. You've moved beyond where it's worth spending your time to figure out too much stuff.
2: Yeah, couldn't agree more. Uh, and a couple other comments. Uh, one thing I think is a really critical question to ask when you're engaging any professional is how they get paid. Yep. So it's important, you know, Yvonne, mm. you you brought up fee only. It's very common in Canada. There's different types of advisors, and oftentimes people are paid on an assets under management basis for financial um, products. The, you know, it's just important to understand how the professionals that you're engaging are getting paid, what they charge, uh, how they track what they're charging, if they're charging for time, um, if they're charging for commission, uh, like if they get paid commissions on products or not. Uh, and this will help you to evaluate the information that you're getting. Yep. Uh, it's also important to understand what the qualifications of the advisors that you're hiring are. Uh, some are really simple, like a CPA is a CPA. Uh, md is an md an optometrist is an optometrist there are no you know differentiating qualifications because you have to have that designation or that degree to call yourself that um in different industries there are different types of designations so it's important to understand the educational background that the advisors in your team have and it's also important to understand what their duty is to you so not all people that you hire as advisors are going to be fiduciaries and a fiduciary is someone with a legal obligation to tell you what's in your best interest. Uh, and that doesn't mean you don't need those advisors and they might be the best advisor you'll ever have in your life, but it is important to understand who's a fiduciary and who's not. And especially for those who are not, you want to make sure that they're individuals that you really trust and, and trust their judgment and trust their, their decision-making and their uh, advice.
3: I think, I think that's critical w- well across said. the board. Critical across the board. Couldn't agree more.
2: No, that, I was, think very... that was my
1: favorite word from this podcast, fiduciary. I really liked that. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. No, know, but my favorite really word agree. is
2: my favorite word is fungible. Oh. That's like a dollar is fungible from another dollar. they're indistinguishable. Like it's mm. you know <laughs> mm. it's a $10 I thought word. your favorite word
0: was taxes. <laughs> no, there was. I, we just
1: said it so many times. I'm like, oh man, if we were drinking to
2: just the word tax, but fiduciary <laughs> has that nice little ring to it. Yeah, rolls off the tongue. What's really important is that your advisors explain things to you in a way yeah. that is understandable and makes mm-hmm. things simple. Nobody's impressed by an advisor who uses jargon like fiduciary and uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever else they can come up with to act smart. They want somebody who can represent them and explain things to them. Like they're a six year old. Mm-hmm. If yeah. you can explain something really simply, it means you understand it very well. Yeah. So, if your advisors can't explain things to you in a way that make you feel comfortable and empowered to make decisions, and, and your advisors should not be making decisions on your behalf, they should mm-hmm. be explaining your options and helping you to come up with the decision. If they can't do that, you need to get different advisors. Yep, 100%. And that's why we're really happy that we brought you
0: guys on because Deep One and I didn't understand any of this beforehand <laughs> yeah. but
3: you're still it, you're still struggling now that we had the conversation no, but when we no, listened to I was going to gonna be again, like and we'll...
1: me and Amrit need to take a deep breath here because no it's uh, it was just there was a lot but Well, it was a lot of information, great, but information but it makes sense yeah
0: but it makes yeah. sense i mean you mm-hmm. guys really did break it down and i love that about this panel i'm really glad that both of you had the time to come on the four eyes podcast and explain that because I think this conversation is really going to help a lot of our listeners. A lot of them are still students and then a lot of them are, you know, new grad ODs, young ODs that really don't know what the heck is going on now in their lives and they don't know what to do with their income. And yeah, when they hear just the surface level advice, Mm -hmm. it's very overwhelming because they're like, well, I know that there's options now but what option is best for me? I think we're all scared to make a financial des- decision because we're scared. We're going to miss out on something else. So we're making the wrong decision. Um, or
1: it's simply as like not even understanding it and just yeah. not
0: wanting to be like, Oh, I'm just not understanding. <laughs> I'm just this. not going to do anything, anything now. Any yeah. I'm just yeah, going to hold all my money in one bank account because I don't know what, <laughs> what else to do with it. Yeah. And, um, exactly. So yeah. Thank you again, guys, for coming on. Um, I will share your personal contact information in the episode description for anyone who wants to contact Yvonne from the US or Lainey from Canada. Um, I'm sure they're going to absolutely love talking to you guys (laughs) and giving you guys consults if you need them. And yeah, email us too if you guys have any other questions about the financial topics and episodes. We can always invite you guys on more um, if if our listeners want to learn more and I'm sure they do. So yeah, thank you again for coming on.
3: Thank you so much for having
0: us.
2: It was a lot of fun.